Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, bringing you the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive startups and leaders. Subscribers get a new episode every Thursday at 6pm, and I'm your host, James Somerville. Hey everybody, huge episode landing for you this week. So my guest is Jacob Haddad, who's the co-founder of Accurix, which is a startup based here in the UK, and they use clinician-to-patient messaging to bring everybody together, patients, clinicians, everybody involved in care, all together to make patients healthier and the workforce happier. So Accurix raised 8.8 million Series A in February this year, 2019, and their product called Chain SMS is used by GP practices all across the country, so one in three across the country. It's completely free, and interestingly their marketing was all word of mouth, leading to that scale. So on this week's episode, we talk about a huge range of useful topics for entrepreneurs. We talk about bottom-up field sales in health tech, we talk about pivoting, and the importance of testing your assumptions with humility. We talk about business models in primary care, and Jacob gives us some tips for selling. We talk about innovative ways to get a customer's attention, and we talk about a few more tips as well in health tech, like minimizing time to value with every single interaction, as well as building a great experience for end users and the importance of that. So, as always, guys, if you want to get in touch with us, head over to the description of this episode. You can find links to Accurix, Jacob's email, Jacob's LinkedIn, and all of our websites, emails, and social links. Feel free to ping us a message. So, Jacob, welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing today, mate? Hi, James. Yeah, uh, very well, thank you. Bit of a cold, but um, otherwise good. Excellent. Well, as I said earlier, we can edit out any coughs, so hopefully the listeners won't even know. Um, <laughs> cool. So uh, whereabouts are you speaking to us today from, Jacob? I'm actually in my living room. Uh, I managed to uh, yeah, escape the office today. Oh, uh, nice. Whereabouts are you based? Um, so I'm based in uh, West Hampstead, uh, and our team's in East London in, in Haggerston. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Cool. And so obviously we've had a quick call before, so I know about your awesome background and stuff, but for the benefit of our listeners, why don't you tell us your story? Yeah, of course. So how I got here, uh, I've always been fascinated by healthcare, went through lots of you know stages of going, oh, should I go into medicine or, or not? Um, but ended up doing um, engineering, economics and management, um, mostly biomedical engineering at Oxford and then uh, in my final year, I actually moved towards doing a load of quality improvement work in, in the hospital there, which I absolutely loved. Uh, mm-hmm. Just kind of being on the wards, uh, you know, particularly did some stuff in pharmacy, did some stuff in neurosurgery, um, found that fascinating. And then left uni, went into uh, management consulting for a bit in healthcare. Um, and to be honest, really didn't, uh, didn't like it. Um, a lot of the incentives are broken, basically. So you're trying mm. to increase Was that activity. the reason that you didn't like it? Yeah, I think spending time um, with clinicians who have quite a clear idea of, you know, how how they could improve care, you know, what they need. Um, mm. And then you're going off and you're basically trying to increase activity, you know, doing projects where um, trying to get district nurses to see more patients in a day and, and district nurses were saying these patients don't actually you know necessarily need to be seen <laughs> actually yeah. the trust is getting paid on you know you know is making uh, a decent margin on kind of low complexity activity yeah um so yeah i wasn't so wasn't as keen on that um compared to you know what i was doing in quality improvement before and also just saw how you know how much opportunity there was to really improve things with technology how much inefficiency there was but also how hard it was to implement things as well yeah. i think it was quite good uh learn a lot of lessons around that and then um realized spent actually a while trying to work out what i wanted to do next was it build a startup was it start uh, was it join a startup was it go down an academic route was it to do graduate medicine all these different things and actually getting to the final stage of joining another startup that wasn't in healthcare made me realize no actually i have to be in healthcare and then got got some good advice which was someone telling me you know, between all those options that starting a company wasn't just like another, another career decision. It wasn't 
um, you know, do I go into consulting or do I, you know, go, go into research or whatever? It's just a fundamentally dis- a different decision. And that helps me actually make that decision in terms of, right, well, what do I want to do? And a friend I knew, um, Adi, who started SpeakSet, spoke very highly of Entrepreneur First. That's where, where um, he went through that program. Um, and actually applied at university, didn't, mm. didn't get in. Um, and so, yeah, applied for it again with that real healthcare focus. Had a, had a good, got a place, had a gap of a few months. So I went to work um, for another startup in outcomes-based commissioning, which was super interesting. It's something mm. that, you know, having got frustrated by broken incentives, something I was, you know, really interested and, and passionate about and, and still am. And then started Entrepreneur First. So actually they're they're quite good at getting you to really focus on the kind of biggest most difficult problems and before starting i went you know what what are those kind of had my floor filled with all different post-it notes you know how can we get Mm. patients out of hospital sooner and how can we help them manage their long-term conditions better and how can we reduce inappropriate use of antibiotic prescribing which was actually what I ended up you know having what we focused on for the first 18 months and I still believe you know it is the you know, we, we pivoted, which will obviously get to you later, but I still believe it's you know, one of the biggest existential threats to modern medicine. You know, if we want to be able to treat cancer, do transplants, you know, even have safe, safe uh, childbirth uh, services, like we need effective antibiotics. And it was, it was around the time there was actually quite a lot more attention than there is now. Um, so yeah, w- went in with that focus back in the beginning of 2016. You then used that program to find a co-founder, didn't you? And you sort of went to work on that big antimicrobial resistance problem. Yes, yeah, so, so went in, and it's 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 crazy, kind of even uh, saying it, but went in thinking we were going to build hardware, as in like place of care, point of care testing, to put in GP practices, trying to take stuff out of microbiology labs and make it more compact and use some computer vision, to speed it up and things like that. Which, you know, um, does not, does not sound ludicrous. I mean, uh, you know, obviously now that you've immersed yourself in the problem and figured out that it is fine. Okay. <laughs> but you know, if you're coming in cold and you, you look at the whole system and you're like, okay, well, how can I move things a bit closer to here so that it costs less and how do I automate stuff and put computer, you know, reasonable. Yeah, I think we you know, we had that, you know, from first principles rationale. And then yeah. what Entrepreneur First was very good at is just getting you to go and talk to customers, go and talk to users, go and talk to like people on the the front line, not just kind of sit and ideate and 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 run blindly with ideas, but to to go and just talk to as many people each possible each week about kind of what you're yeah. what you're doing. Um which is good because often in the, you know, startup well people are so you know closed and secretive and they think you know their ideas um worth millions they don't want to share it with anyone which is i think people are afraid to get their assumptions tested as well yeah i think i think that's true i think even yeah i mean we, we we were too and um even with what we do now even you know with all the growth you've had and things like that you do have to um have a you know really good level of self-awareness and humility yeah. to be able to go and test assumptions and uh, um we'll get to it later but i think actually pivoting and realizing that you know you worked for the wrong thing for 18 yeah. on the wrong <laughs> thing for 18 months is the best lesson in you know everything is an assumption until you properly yeah. can validate it you know, I've spoken to a lot of people recently on this podcast that have been part of essentially like a, their big company that they were a very small part of getting yeah. completely and utterly disrupted by new technology because of that fear of pivoting and that fear of testing their assumptions, the lack of humility, you know, all the things you've just mentioned. And I've seen, you know, interviewed people that have been through that at a really early stage in their career. And the ones that obviously self-selecting ones that get to this podcast, but they've gone on to be so innovative just simply because they've always had one eye on something could come along and just completely disrupt this. So we yeah. just need to stay on the on the ball, constantly pivot and change what we're doing, constantly look at new technology, constantly look at new trends, constantly look at the way humans are behaving, you know, all these different things just to stay on top of their game. I think it also becomes, uh, we found it's become easier when you've had some success because if you haven't yet had success so true to go and say well actually we don't really know what we're doing which is kind of true of 
like pretty much everyone um <laughs> success is like well you know who are these guys um but when you've actually shown success um you know when you look at you know uh i don't know google tries to build a social network and it completely flops you don't think google's a flop because they've you know got this other massive success obviously yeah. Not comparing ourselves to Google, but um, <laughs> if, if they were just, you know, if all they were was a flop social network, you'd look at them and go, oh, that's just a flop social network. So it definitely becomes easier. I completely agree, actually. And, and actually, even, even with our accelerator, you know, we, we started with one model, we've changed our model and done something different. And you're right, because when you're, when you're flogging something initially and you're flogging a brand new model and a brand new system and all these different things and people are saying it's not going to work, you can't really point to anything in your track record to say, well, I'm pretty qualified to make this call because. And so, yeah, in later additions of our changes and pivots and things that we've moved around and things it's been so much easier to justify it and people just sort of go oh okay yeah you guys have got the experience you've been in and around this for a few years now so it makes a lot of sense and it's quite cool that you're doing something new rather than that initial thing which is like this is brand new you you are unproven and so yeah seems a bit weird so you're right it does it does definitely help to pivot when you've got a bit of success behind you yeah and it's always really hard the the whole um people love kind of giving their two cents. I mean, I do it. Um, And, you know, we had loads of people who, you know, got really excited about what we were doing with antibiotic prescribing. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, that's because we, you know, spoke to people who were, you know, had a real, you know, passion about this rather than, you know, the, the, the kind of more representative population of of, of frontline staff. Mm. Um, But equally, there are loads of people, um, including ourselves initially, who were like, you'll never be able to build something that can hyperscale or that can get adopted bottom up in healthcare. And we've done that. So you've got to be really careful about how you, I think, you know, take advice as data points, but you, you kind of get a bit paralyzed if you, there's a reason loads of things haven't been done before. And if you (laughs) kind of follow, follow everyone's advice of what's possible and what's isn't, what isn't, then um, you're going to, you might, kind of make some some steps forward but it's going to be hard to make kind of big innovative leaps it's a really good point so last week i interviewed neil from skin analytics mm. and you know he we, we both sort of said that you know as he was look, talking about his background and he was saying you know he asked a load of clinicians he asked a load of data scientists he asked a load of different computer scientists different people about whether the idea was good and he was getting all sorts of feedback largely negative with a few bits positive and it's difficult to know what to what to say i mean we and we both said we've both got slides that we present which essentially say the same thing which is by all means, listen to feedback, but don't listen to all of it. And his, his actually went a stage further, I think, to say absolutely listen to feedback, but then absolutely do not listen to some feedback. And it's just up yeah. to you as the innovator to figure out whether the person giving you that data is, is qualified to, to say that and whether you have actually asked the right question of them. And it is so hard. I mean, you, you're obviously immersing yourself in this, you know, antimicrobial resistance, you know, AMR problem. And you, yeah, you're getting all these different bits of feedback, a lot of it probably saying this is ludicrous, some of it saying this could work. I mean, what was your journey then to, to some sort of MVP? Did you get as far as that with that version? Yeah, so first, so we very quickly realized that, you know, building hardware wasn't the right approach. We we're effectively competing with like cheap generic antibiotics. And so it has to, you know, we've got to have something that where the marginal cost can be lower and you know, where you don't have to faff around with the test because actually just, you know, prescribing something's pretty quick. So our, our kind of thesis, our view is, could we use data to improve how prescribing decisions are made? At the moment, a lot of them are made kind of finger in the air, like when antibiotics first came out. Can we also use some um, behavioral science to nudge patients to take them properly and to, you know, offer like replacements for, for antibiotics and um, kind of substitutes? Yeah. Um so that, that was our broad approach. Obviously, the data around that doesn't even exist in terms of having proper outcome data or anything structured. Um, so we started with building a decision support product that sat uh, on the GP's computer, integrated with the EHR, um, and would basically follow the guide. We kind of programmed in a load of guidelines. So you know, patient presents with sinusitis and you go through a handful of symptoms is a prescription indicated um and if so what drug and so we'd you know pull the the renal function and each other allergies and all sorts to to try and get to an answer 
um, and then at the end would um, send, give give some advice. So what we what we found when talking to to GPs is we said we were like, if you if you've got a patient who you, you don't think needs antibiotics but they really want them, what do you do? And they were like, oh, we give we give them a leaflet because then they leave with <laughs> something, and you you've got some you've got this kind of like ticket to give them to kind of end the consultation and yeah. and, and, and get them out of the room. Um, so we're like, all oh, right, we can we can build that in. We'll 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 let you print out some advice. We'll let you send some advice by SMS, which is kind of we just did on a bit of a whim um, and turned out yeah. to uh, be a lot of what we do today. But anyway, <laughs> we, we, we built that in and yeah, tr- yeah, tried that out and we got into a really good, you know, kind of how we got there. We realized we were just building in isolation of, you know, Lawrence and I just sitting in one of our flats or something and, and kind of trying to program in these guidelines. Um, we got into a really good pattern where I'd go out and spend a day a week with, users predominantly gps um predominantly who had an interest in antimicrobial resistance which is where, where we went wrong but anyway that's you know who would give me their time um and then we'd spend mm. the, the week kind of based on that feedback the week building and then the next week i'd have a bunch of a uh, kind of user research and interviews lined up would get that, that demo in front of people get loads of feedback come back and we did that kind of on a really good which i guess is what you call sprints right but we did we yeah. didn't have the uh we didn't have any of the um that technical the, the language. Product, yeah, exactly. It was just like, let's go and talk <laughs> to people and, and build stuff. Um, and to, yeah, that got us into a really good rhythm, move, move product forward, forward quite quickly, that start building a team, um, let us raise some initial kind of angel funding um, after the, the EF program and get that software in the first GP practices. And we, we, we did a presentation to a bunch of uh, GP practices in Oxford, in the city locality in Oxford at, at the CCG trying to get enough together who wanted to pilot it and we got we there were like 20 there and we got you know 17 or so of them were keen and so we went out to each practice and demoed it and and they were keen and then we had um we we were kind of you know tinkering and trying to make our software more reliable and we had this one practice who just kept chasing us being like when are you coming to install this because we demoed it and so you know it looked like everything was there but you know once you've built software you come to learn that just seeing a demo is kind of that's like five percent of the work and then making it work reliably is you know 95 if not 99 yeah. percent anyway they, they they were like chasing us and so we're like okay we'll, we'll put this date in 23rd of february 2016 so remember it um <laughs> and we drove to oxford in a hurricane um like four of us squeezed in a car with like <laughs> all i remember is someone dropped porridge in the car and it was like <laughs> um we got there. One of us ran to say, you know, Sainsbury's to get some um, croissants and everything for everyone. And we um, we were like, oh yeah, we'll we'll get there at eight a.m. and their, their clinic starts at eight thirty. We'll install, you know, set up. They'd seen a demo. It was quite a small practice. Um, and then kind of happy days. Anyway, we got there at you know, a bit after eight. We installed. Um, all seemed to be going well. And then uh, first person to put their smart card in their computer and it just didn't work and we were like oh god what on earth is going on we don't even talk to smart cards what, what is happening here meanwhile like patients piling up in the waiting room this oh, is our no. first year ever installed in gp practice um and it felt like an absolute eternity trying to get that fixed it support and all sorts now you know end of the day they were running the uh, kind of a legacy version of the smart card software that just kind of you know, it was the last straw and it, it just fell over. And so when we updated, the new, you know, saw the new version, it, it fixed it. Yeah. But that, there was a good couple of hours where they were having, you know, they couldn't prescribe that login properly. And that, and that was, you know, pretty... Um, Heart in mouth. Yeah. But when people say, you know, get things out, you know, release early, um, we could have spent another six months, another year working on software. We still wouldn't have hit that problem until we actually... Yeah. Um, and a lot of... You know, that's one example, of, and we've got many, of where building it, software and healthcare, you've really got to be, particularly you know, for, for um, healthcare staff, you've really got to be very mindful of where the IT estate is and, and building things that actually work on computers with you know, old versions of Windows and slow internet and you know, old internet browsers. Um, and so you know, a lot of our effort has gone into building for that world um mm. but yeah that was our first that was our first install in St Clement's surgery in Oxford and then we had you know we installed for we set up about 20 practices over the next few months and we'd you know we'd, we'd go to each one physically a few times to demo it initially and then to install it and then to come back and install for 
people we couldn't install them before and the, the long and short of it is we, we just couldn't get usage up like you know when we demoed it to people they were like oh yeah this is really cool and when when they, they clicked the sms button and a message went to a patient's phone and into emis at the same time it was like magic like people yeah. thought it was like witchcraft that you know that we could do that in in 2016 yeah uh, or 2017 but we couldn't get usage up we had these kind of like depressing weekly utilization meetings um looking at looking at the numbers coming at brainstorming loads and loads of ideas um and we had our team retreat in uh summer 2017 uh, in the bracken beacons which was um yeah lovely our first team retreat and we do them each year now but we had that um we're quite a small team um and we basically were like loads of people sell software in, in healthcare that's not very good and we think ours is quite good so we just need to get better at selling and just um be more be more salesy let's just go you know um to a bunch of ccgs and um try and get them to you know at least pilot us and which then, is a reasonable conclusion yeah we, we were kind of naively like well if they just pilot us obviously the software will work and then like they'll want to buy us <laughs> um <laughs> so we went after that and i went and met with another 15 20 ccgs and at the end of it kind of went even if we built something that halved inappropriate antibiotic prescribing you know there was really good evidence around like do we think they would actually commission it and that's assuming we could even get people to use us and we worked so i was like you know what probably not but what we've seen happen which was really cool is in trying to get usage up we'd gone to we'd spoken to users who were originally using us and then stopped using us um, GPs and we'd like ask them why they said oh we don't um, we don't see these patients anymore with like urinary tract infections and sore throats and we're like oh okay how come and they're like oh a nurse sees them now and we're like oh interesting how come the nurse sees them and they're like oh because they use they use this soft they use your software um, to uh, you know help them decide what to do um, huh. for the decision support um, and can we have it for more conditions please so we're like oh okay there's probably something here you know <laughs> sure. Um, you know, crazy, you know, locum GPs aren't cheap. Um, can we um, build this out for other conditions? And so we went into, I remember it, beginning of October, 1st of October, 2017, we, we got the team together, got everyone to listen to this brilliant podcast um, from, it's a Masters of Scale podcast from when uh, Airbnb started and they, they did kind of, they were super unscalable. Mm. And we, were like, we need to do that. We need to be really unscalable and just learn stuff. For a few months so we had yeah. this goal of can we make two gp practices dependent on us in three months or whatever it was and it turns out a2 was just too many and we needed to focus in one um and we focused in one you know brilliant practice man of surgery in oxford who were you know very innovative in just even like engaging with us and having having us there and we you know we ran the team off site for them we spent days shadowing appointments shadowing reception everyone in the team you know developers everyone would go up two or three days a week it was absolutely exhausting um you know you'd be would be driving back and someone would be writing up notes of what we learned the day into slack and things like that mm. we built loads we built all sorts of hacky prototypes mostly in excel for um collecting data from patients and um like knowledge management and triaging calls that come into reception and rotor management and um uh, like appointment demand capacity we, we slashed appointment weights from two weeks to two days overnight without wow. adding any extra appointments and you know on, on skill mix as well and on shifting appointments away from gps and then we kind of came out of it being like right there's there's a there's so many things to fix here and you know there's not any you know a man of surgery is actually way ahead of um, a lot of other practices we most other practices we go to it's just the nature of particularly where where it is at but what we also learned is that a lot of those weren't going to be scalable. A lot of them you'd have to go into each organization and do a whole change management piece and look at you sure. know, what's their staffing profile and who's retiring and you know, what are the politics and all these different things. And we, we looked at a lot of other companies in IT and healthcare that hadn't really scaled and realized that you know, our, our belief is that doing field sales kills innovation because if you've got to drive around every single organization, not just once, but multiple times, like you're not going to do that unless you, yep. you know, a super big ticket item. Um, yep. And so we went, you know, we've got to try and find a way that we can build something that, that can be adopted bottom up. The end users can be like, Oh, I, you know, I want to use this. 
um and that also it just wasn't very fun going out to you know it's, it's always yeah. great talking to users but going out to loads of different practices you know an hour's drive away or further it's just really exhausting and then going there and trying not to get in their way when they're really busy and mm. trying to you know get onto their computers but they're you know their computers are busy or they're busy installing updates or whatever's whatever's happening um so we we're like we need need to find a way for people to install so we um we did our we we took that as a as a kind of as a sprint a couple a couple of our team Callum and Lorna worked on that first challenge was like you know how do we build trust so people can install this random bit of software from our website and we kind of thought about it for a week and then we're like we still don't know let's just try it and hopefully someone will trust us mm. um and then we also worried about this smart card thing but we were like um, well we know how to fix it and so because because we you know we'd hit it in gp practices and we, we knew the fix so we were like well if people hit that we'll just have really good support um, and we'll remote in and, and fix it. Um, yeah. We'd seen people love the patient messaging part of our antibiotic prescribing. Um, yeah. This kind of like moment of awe when something landed on their phone and, <laughs> and it went into EMS. But we we realized that one of the reasons we weren't being used is we weren't routine. So we only work for like 5% of your appointments where, um, where a patient has a sore throat or a cough or whatever it is. Um, and therefore you don't remember to use us. And we, we talk about it now in the team. We talk about, you know, we compare flossing, which like everyone's meant to do. Mm-hmm. And they know they're meant to do, but they never do. Um, <laughs> so brushing your teeth, which is like in your routine and you, you, so you do it every day. So we're like, how can we make this messaging in everyone's routine? Um, how can we basically provide advice for every condition? And we were providing advice for infections before, which, which we actually wrote ourselves. Our, our clinical lead at the time, Lydia wrote, and I, it's crazy that we were, you know, even doing that, that we were writing advice for conditions, but like, where, where can we get advice for all these conditions? Well, NHS choices at the time now, NHS.UK um, had, you know, covered loads of conditions. They didn't have APIs at the time. So we just scraped the whole website, uh, pulled out all the, the URLs and the condition names and, and put that in. So when you had a patient open, you could uh, click our little button, type in a condition. It would put in a link for that condition. You could add some text and send it. Um, we thought that's how everyone would use it to send advice, but actually you know, now that's 8% of our usage. A lot of it was plugging this, this on their need of just getting a message to a patient, you know, saying oh, wow. these low, can you go to the pharmacy, all these different things. And one of our massive learnings that came out of that is when you give people something generic, like they will innovate. If you give people yeah. Microsoft Excel, people come up with all different uses for it. But if you give them like, you know, an inventory management platform. All they can do is manage inventory. Yeah. So, so that that one of our product principles kind of came out of that. So we we tested that in the practices that we that were using antibiotic prescribing before, and they really liked that. And we're like, oh, actually, this is way better than the antibiotic prescribing because it's, it's actually just <laughs> much more useful. And we wanted to find a way to go bottom up. So we said, right, let let's try and install this uh, remotely. So we said so we you know, got a team viewer account, um, and we. Um, approached some, I think we had some practices who you know, knew the practices we were testing in and they, they were keen. So we tried installing over TeamViewer, that, that works. And we were like, right, let's try and make this self-service. So we had this incredibly clunky flow where you'd sign up, you'd fill in a form on our website <laughs> you want to try us out. And we'd get an email saying, you know, James at so-and-so practice want, wants to install us. Um, yeah. And we'd rush to make a page for the practice on Wix, so it looked like it was, a, you know, an actual like automated thing. Yeah, um, you know, part <laughs> surgery, you know, install. Here's all the documents you need. Here's your software license key. Everything. Here's the download. And then we'd we'd publish that page, send them a link, um, and let them install, and then just be on on hand and have really really good support. Um, and that that started taking off. So then we were like, right, we've, we've got something that people actually use. Um, you know, we also saw usage kind of going up there. People are starting telling other practices and they'd got in touch. We're like, oh, can we try this? So we're like, okay, well, referrals is probably going to be pretty strong. A uh, strong way to grow. Like, how, how can we accelerate that? So we, we tried kind of everything to, to grow and approach other practices. We tried cold emails, cold calls, contacting CCG, sending letters in the post, sending flyers in the post going to events, go, you know, getting EMIS to help promote us. The, the only thing that really worked uh, was sending letters in the post with handwritten post-it notes on top saying, 
can you try this bit of free software? Interesting. Um, of all the things, you know, we tried putting money into Google Ads, we tried everything. Why do you think that was? I think the other channels are really noisy. So if you're a busy practice, you don't pay it. You know, I do the same, right? You get all these inbox emails in every day. You don't pay attention to them. That's um, a good point. And when I say it worked, you know, it was it was really small numbers with like one percent <laughs> rather than zero. Yeah, practices. Yeah, it was like three percent conversion. Yeah. But, but what it gave us is it gave us kind of seeds in these areas where you know the main main root of our installs was referrals. So I remember this one. Um, we had one practice manager uh, come on our on our chat on our website, ask loads of questions about our business model and what we do with data and our, you know, um, how we're funded and all these different things. Um, and we said, look, we're an EMS partner. We've gone through all their assurance, we've gone through assurance with NHS digital, just download us, try us out with a dummy patient. Um, and we were like, this person never going to try us. I was so skeptical. Anyway, later that day, they're like, this is the best thing since sliced bread. They <laughs> CC'd into an email. They sent to 30 other GP practices being like, I got this letter, it sounded really dodgy, but mm. actually um, I called them up, um, spoke to them, I've tried it out and like all our GPs are loving it, you have to stop what you're doing and like start using this. And at the time we had like 25 GP practices and this person had just emailed 30. So like this, this was like, wow. we were like, okay, this is probably gonna be, a, might be a good way to grow. Um, and then we, yeah, we, we kind of spent, this was a uh, beginning of 2018. We spent all of 2018 basically going, how can we make that process of someone setting themselves up easier and easier and more reliable, um, regardless of, um, you know, what admin privileges they've got on their computer, how fast their internet is. So I remember that us having a meeting where we were on the verge of sending cd-roms out to practices with the install files because they just could some rural practices just couldn't Fair. download so Fair enough. Download the installer we, we managed to get to get to get around that in the end with um got a very good engineering team um <laughs> and yeah spent spent a lot of year kind of optimizing for that we had you know that it was true that product was kind of truly like very iterative and that you know we we got a load of feedback people wanted some templates so we built a few templates and they wanted to make their own templates so so we i don't know where the idea came from but we were like right well if you want to make your own templates we'll, we'll let you do that but you've got to tell another practice about us first and so we built in that kind of referrals mechanism and then they wanted to make practices uh, templates for their whole practice and so we were like okay well you've got to refer to other practices and that was quite new to people in healthcare i guess you know in consumer software people are used to like referral incentives mm. you, know, you people don't get that on their you know even not even in healthcare even on just kind of their work work systems often and then we just yeah kept doubling down on you know making it making a really really simple bit of functionality better and better not not bolting on more features but actually um yeah just know, doing one thing really really well yeah um really optimized for adoption really optimized for for, for task completion um so there's there's this there's this heart framework that actually we didn't know at the time because we were just kind of like flying a bit blind but um that talks about you know do you optimize for happiness or engagement um acquisition retention or, or task completion and we were very much going after um acquisition or, or adoption and um task completion um so yeah that that was that was the bulk of 2018 and um it took us a few months to really turn off the skill mix work and just go, this isn't actually going to be scalable, we don't think. And then around the summer, we, we started realizing, well, actually, a lot of these problems we were trying to fix beyond just this messaging product, you know, most of them just boiled down to communication. Um, yeah. And so summer last year, we were like, hang, uh, hang on a sec, healthcare is a communication industry. That's what everyone's doing all day. Um, it, and it wasn't like that 50 years ago because see a doctor and they'd, they'd tell you what to do and they didn't have a team it was just kind of individuals prescribing treating diagnosing and um, now now they've got teams those teams need to communicate um that's what everyone's doing all day making referrals getting second opinions um coordinating care getting information to patients and that's how we got yeah, how we got to here that's awesome man and there's there's so many things that i want to talk to you about in that story and i think the first one 
is with your antimicrobial resistance product, i.e. before the pivot to patient communication or doctor-patient communication or clinician-patient communication, to be politically correct, you got really far. Like you connected to EMIS, you got it to GPs, you were definitely on the lines of solving a problem because you were definitely getting into the room with lots of potential buyers and you had these things going on. It's just interesting to me that there's still clearly a problem to be solved there in a big way, that the system just wasn't set up quite right to allow you to solve it. But you did so much work there that actually enabled you to then move really quickly once you'd pivoted because then once you've done all the hard work i mean connecting to emis by the way which you know for those in other countries that are listening is an electronic medical record system used in primary care one of sort of three or four big ones you know once you've done that work which is incredibly long and difficult and actually quite expensive your ability to then scale a solution that flew into the hands of people that really wanted it was, was exponentially more than having to go through that process whilst still trying to figure out that you were onto a good idea. Yeah, I think we, we were partly you know, very lucky in that a lot of the capability we'd built, uh, both in you know, integrations, in our tech stack, because um, actually you, know, you can get the APIs, but making them work in, in the real world is a different thing. Well, this and, is you know, it, yeah. Um, in our team, in our understanding of our users, things like that, all of that was trans. All of that was transferable. Um, and, the, and the thing we always reflect on is nobody asked us to go and build an easier way to message patients. Ne- not once, yeah. you know, when we're doing any sort of user research or testing, did people say like this is a pain point? Um, you know, in hindsight, you go and look at the processes, and when someone's dictating a letter and then tasking admin to say, can you send type up this letter and send it to a patient? That's probably not the most efficient way to do things. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, I don't know if we would have, um, you know, found product market fit had we not gone down that, um, you know, 18 month oh, diversion of antibiotic prescribing. Now, would I have rather we did it in, you know, nine months instead of 18 months? A hundred percent. But, you know. Um, At least it didn't take you 10 years. Yeah, at least it didn't take us 10 years. At least we, you know, we were able to keep going. We had um, what was great as well as the angel uh, funding. We had some Innovate UK funding as well. Um, nice. And, it, you know, I don't think you can ever regret these things because so much of this is timing. And actually, if we'd, le- you know, learned that in six months, maybe we wouldn't have, you know, ended up speaking to the right practices yeah. or, or, you know, we just didn't ha- wouldn't have had quite as much insights. And, and you th- know- the thing is, mate, as well, I think you had enough traction to bang your head against the wall for a lot longer than you actually did. I think there are plenty of people out there that would have got the traction that you did and still been trying to plug that now. I I do genuinely believe that. I think actually your, I guess humility is one way of putting it. Your ability to recognize the problem that did need solving is another, I guess the, how generic the, um, the technology was and, and actually the fact that you, you had a system where your customers were reporting back to you, you know, all of those things contributed to you actually moving forwards with the, with the pivot and, 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 you know, changing the product slightly. But I, I do believe that there are people out there that, that w- based on that amount of traction would still probably mm. be trying to flog that, you know? So I think it is, it is testament to you to actually looking at it through that lens of, of humility and problem solving and, and scalability and all those different things to actually say, you know what, actually let's cut our losses here because there is the sunk cost fallacy as well, isn't there? That, you know, you don't, you don't want to have thought that all of this work was in vain. If I'm then going to go and do something completely different, it is a special type of mindset that doesn't even allow you to move on. And then I think what was really good was your kind of your, your focus on adoption. That's the next bit that I want to talk about because I I mean, it's well documented that adoption needs a lot more attention, time, resource, money than it actually gets. And I think one thing that makes your company stand out is you told a few different stories there where the the main thread was how focused you were on adoption from let's just do this in a really unscalable way for one or two practices right towards okay, let's now set up a manual system that looks automated just so that that custom feels completely and utterly looked after and it 
increases the chances of them actually installing the software, actually adopting it. And then even one stage further to, to then saying, well, what are the challenges people are going to have with adoption? Okay, internet's one of them. So let's send out CD-ROMs, you know, all these different things. All of that is an adoption play. And you even mentioned the word adoption. I think it's, it's one of one of the things that I've noticed about companies that are particularly successful is that they do have a heavy, heavy, heavy focus on getting these things adopted because you've learned in your story here as well that not only do you need a good product, that often isn't good enough because you learned that in the AMR, the antimicrobial resistance mm. bit. You know, you had a product that, that was clearly getting attention. It was getting you in the room with people, but the adoption bit wasn't there. And sadly, it wasn't possible for that. But I think that's also given you this, this attention on adoption when you have got a product where it could work because you've probably learned the lessons, um, learned the lessons that way. Yeah, I definitely think so. So, I mean, there might be a few reasons we focused on it. So we'd, we'd come through Entrepreneur First, which wasn't specific to healthcare. So we were surrounded by people trying to build companies in other sectors where, yeah. you know, adoption is you know, traditionally much more of a focus. And also just realizing that even if we built this, you know, absolutely world-class game-changing bit of software for antibiotic prescribing, if only 10 people are using it or 100 people are using it, it's not, A, it's not going to make a blind bit of difference in terms <laughs> yeah. of like impacting yeah. patients or, you know, the effectiveness of antibiotics. Yeah. B, it's not, going to, you know, it's not going to build a business. Um, and, you know, where we've got to is I think it's once you've got adoption, you, you can, you know, quite easily find out what, well, easily, but, you know, it's, it's straightforward. It, there's a route to finding out what people need and building it and getting it in their hands. And mm. you know, now I know if we build a feature and ship it in tomorrow's release, it, it goes out to, you know, 3000 practices. Whereas if you're, you know, tweaking a, tweaking a product that nobody's using yet or a handful of people are using it, the, the impact is just that much smaller. And, and that's the, the beauty of software, I guess. Um, and that's why, yeah. why adoption's yeah, so important. You know, this, you know, there's this saying of, if you if you're not sure if you've got product market fit, you don't have it, and if you've if you've got it, you'll know. And mm. in that those early days when we, you know, got patient messaging out, and people would email back in all caps, being like, you know, all sorts of you know crazy <laughs> feedback, being like, you know, if this had feet, I'd kiss it, and you know, <laughs> referring it to people and putting it in their job adverts, being like, we use this. And just, you know, in particular that, you know, telling other practices and seeing adoption grow and seeing engagement grow. So where people were using it, they, they came back and were like, oh, we've you know, come up with all these different great ways to use it. And um, that's what product market fit felt like. And one of the difficult things has been, you know, partly that partly that's luck. And, you know, what we've been doing more recently, particularly in like going into hospitals and things, um, we forget how much iteration it took to get there and how we were running 20 different experiments in one GP practice to find that it wasn't like yeah. a light bulb moment where we were like, Oh, we need to do, we need to do that. You know, that's a phrase that comes up a lot on this podcast, not a light bulb moment. I think that is, it's starting to become a little bit of a feature. I think in the people <laughs> that I speak to that, that actually you don't just all of a sudden go for a walk and have this amazing idea. I mean, it happens for some people, but that they seem to be in the minority. It does just seem to be hard graft and iteration that eventually leads to an idea and then more hard graft and iteration that ends up being product market fit. It really does. I think even when it, where it happens for some people, that, that's probably luck and like survivorship yeah. bias where like you hear about those cases, but you don't hear about all the light bulb moments that, you know, never went anywhere. <laughs> complete nonsense. Absolutely. Um, so, and, and yeah, even when you, I think even when people do have something closer to that, the amount of iteration that's required to, you know, make it, make it actually work is obviously, yeah. Um, yeah. is obviously, is obviously huge. What would you say is your best tip for selling to GP practices? Because one thing that you got guys have managed to do very well, I mean, it's what over two and a half thousand practices you're in now. It's, it's, it's a huge amount. I mean, what, what would you say is the, the tip for the entrepreneurs listening and that are in health tech that might have a product eat and actually maybe, I mean, you talked about how you got in touch with them, which was pretty innovative I mean, handwritten letters and post-it notes, you know, stuff like that to even, to even get their feedback to test ideas and test your assumptions and test um, th th those yeah. things was, was incredibly important. But what about then the next stage of actually selling to them? What would you say your, your tip is there? Yeah. So, well, the, the first kind of caveat I should say is um, all of our practices using us use us for free at the moment. Um, uh, we're moving to the CCG's uh, clinical commissioning groups paying, paying for text messages. Um, but they use us for free because we've had that focus on adoption. And we, you know, we had a decision yeah. to make as a business is 
do we focus on adoption or do we focus on revenue and we focus on adoption and you know that that actually you know fundraising was hard when you're doing that but actually when we just were very explicit about that it got a lot easier because it filtered out the you know a lot of investors um in terms of getting people to gg practice to adopt us you know across their their practice i think you know looking back the the way we've been able to do that has been one just optimizing for time to value so making sure that within five minutes of someone hitting our website for the first time they're sending messages to their patients um, so that you can see that really you know really soon and in particular you can do that on a dummy patient and send a message to yourself and just like see the value and i think you know healthcare is plagued by software being bought by procurement teams who won't actually use it and i yeah. think it, it, it's actually just really sad because it means that loads of you know smart well-resourced kind of tech companies aren't building software for end users they're building yeah. software for kind of procurement people to you know tick boxes but i'd say yeah really really minimizing time to value really i guess the second one which kind of came out of that then is um optimizing for for end users and just building a great experience for them not for you know all the check boxes that you know someone in procurement needs and that, that's been one of the benefits of not selling and focusing on adoption um and then i'd say the third one is avoiding um they're needing to be a consensus decision so typically you know in any sort of you know field sales process for an organization be it a gp practice a hospital a community trust to start using something a group of people all have to say yes um but yep. one person can say no and, <laughs> and that's the end of it um and those group of people are really busy and like they don't really have, you know, headspace to think about these new things and they've got the shadow of all these other things that they tried or, you know, they're really worried about if something goes, you know, doesn't work that well, does it harm their reputation and all these things. So when I say avoid the consensus decision, what I mean is um, let one person try us out without even having to talk to colleagues um, and let them then, and that links up with time to value. Um, you know, if they then can see value, then they'll go to their whole team and be like, and this literally happens in GP practices. They'll go and knock on the G- GPs or nurses door next door and be like, oh, come look at this. And they yeah. cry around the computer and like, that's a much better way to get a consensus decision than, you know, people looking at a, you know, shiny brochure or something like that. Really interesting, mate. And, and I guess before we close out, you mentioned fundraising. Whereabouts are you guys on that journey? So beginning of 2018, we were you know, really focused on GP practices. As we saw that grow really well, we were like, this communication problem goes way beyond just GP practices communicating with their patients. It includes them communicating with hospitals and care homes and, and pharmacies and community providers. And, and it also includes you know, um, and communicating within their teams and the hospitals communicating within their teams and with patients. Um, and so we kind of really expanded our vision to being, you know, that anyone involved in a patient's care can communicate with each other. And that obviously includes with, with the patient. Um, we, uh, beginning of this year, so around February this year, announced a, a Series A round with, uh, led by Atomico, also with Local Globe, yeah. um, Seed Investors, and with Entrepreneur Fest. Um, and so that's given us, you know, the ability to really quite rapidly start building out the team um so that we can move a lot faster on you know getting to that vision um so yeah we're in a we're in a good place and we were lucky to find investors who really really align with that mission and you know had been thinking about it for a long time before they'd actually met us and my last question mate would be how do you see the future of this and if you fast forward i don't know a year two five ten years Mm. of this kind of clinician patient communication and and where it might lead and what problems it might solve how do you see the future there fast forward a year we really want to be letting different organizations communicate with each other about patients and we want to be letting patients have much easier ways to communicate with their practice than you know calling up at 8am and hoping that hoping that their call will be answered and to start showing the growth we've seen in GP practices um, in other settings so in hospitals and in district nursing you know in community providers and, and other places like that fast forward more like five years we really want to start opening up a lot of the infrastructure we've built so you know you spoke about 
how difficult it is to to get that adoption and and um, to build out that capability. We were lucky we had that from when we were working on antibiotic prescribing. But w- when we when we did that unscalable phase, we 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 looked at all these problems. I remember looking at all these posters on the whiteboard and being like, "No one company is going to fix all of this." Mm. Um, the best type one diabetes management platform is probably going to be built by someone with type one diabetes, or at least <laughs> someone who who knows someone with type one diabetes and just focuses on that. They shouldn't have to build infrastructure to deploy and to send notifications and to integrate with record systems. And even just, you know, clinicians shouldn't have to sign into 20 different things each day. We really want to open up that infrastructure and be a platform so others can build on that. Um, now, I'm also conscious that everyone says, you know, we're a platform, we want to be a platform. And to get there is, you know, a, a really long, you know, a long way. And that's why it's, you know, where, where we want to be in five years. Um, I'd say the other part of where we really want to be in five years is, is uh, really improving communication, not just in, in, in the UK, but, but internationally. So what really, really excites us as a team is um, we think capturing all communication that, that will over time replace the medical record because that's how most of healthcare happens. And that's traditionally what the medical record has been. Um, and we're really excited about trying that out in resource-constrained health settings in, in, in low-middle-income countries where actually there is no medical record and actually just having all the communication in one place becomes the de facto record. And so in five years time, I'd, I'd love to be in that position because I think that's where we can have, you know, an order of magnitude more impact. Awesome. Dude, I love what you're doing. I, you know, more than that, I actually love the approach to what you're doing. I think there are so many principles that we've talked about today that apply to building a good company in health tech sensibly that's problem focused. I think, I, th- I think you guys are going to do really well. I, I really look forward to, to following you and um, yeah, wish you all the best of success. Dude. Oh, thank you very much, James. I really enjoyed this and it's been nice and nostalgic going through <laughs> our, all of our learnings and ups and downs. Yeah, you know, so many people come on this and, and they say like, Oh, I've not told those, sto- those stories in years. Um, so I'm, gl- <laughs> I'm glad that I can take people down memory lane a bit and relive the good times. I think, I think it was Yesh from Scalpel that came on and he texted me straight afterwards and he was like, I've just, I've, I've now just remembered why I'm doing all this stuff. I was having <laughs> such a shitty week. And then, and now it just, it, that's just really like fueled me to go and do the next thing. So I was like, oh, that's, that's really cool. Um, but dude, the way we close these podcasts out is uh, I will just hand back over to you to just summarize a little bit about yourself, a little bit about what you're doing at QRX. And if you've got any asks of our audience and bear in mind, we have GPs, we have NHS execs, we have private hospitals, insurers, investors, we have everybody listening to this podcast. So by all means, close us out, take it away and let us know uh, about you, about the company and any asks you've got of our audience. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed this. So yeah, I'm, I'm Jacob, co-founder of Accurix. We're on a mission to bring patients and their care teams together. And we've got a vision that everyone involved in a patient's care should be able to communicate with each other. We started out building software for antibiotic prescribing and, and now over 40% of practices in the country are using us to communicate with their patients. We're just starting to go into other care settings beyond the GP practice, hospitals, pharmacies. So if you're keen to uh, communicate with your patients and communicate with GP practices more effectively, love to hear from you. Um, you can reach me at jacobatacurix.com. Hey, everybody, and thanks for listening to this week's episode and making it all the way to the end. If you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow us on all of our socials so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.